the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We reflect on the legacy of George W. Bush's former speechwriter and later talking with our children and grandchildren about difficult things. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Home day, day Thanksgiving before Eve. Thanksgiving Eve, as yep. we're calling it. We hope you're doing some wonderful, uh, some cooking and some cleaning, but in a way that's fun. Maybe there's some Christmas wonderful music behind you, and, and yeah, you're you're enjoying it, and you don't feel stressed. That's what I hope for you on this Thanksgiving Eve. My name is Aubrey Sampson, alongside my co-host Brian Fromm. We're so glad that you are with us this evening, and if you've missed any of our show. Particularly where Brian and I just fence about petty things. We'd love to invite you to go back and catch up that on our podcast. We do. we do that really well. Catch up on our podcast wherever it is you cast those pods of yours. We love connecting with you on social media. We are at Common Good Talk on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Brian, a few big news stories. One of them hit particularly close to home because it was a Wheaton grab. But first is this. A few days ago, Nancy Pelosi stepped down from Democratic leadership after Republicans won control of the House. Lots of questions in the air about what's going to happen next. Have you followed that story much? A little bit. You know, it has its normal partisan uh, divide. But on some level, somebody who's of that age, you go, hey, good job. Like, you've you've led you. we might disagree with how you led, right. but for your party, you led well, and congratulations. She's not going anywhere, right. as she's best not I can tell, anywhere. but she's not going to be in leadership. She's kind right. of said, I want to hand it off to the next generation, yeah. so, all right. Yep. I, I hope, in one sense, and maybe this is uh, some night, I don't know, maybe this is wishful thinking, I hope she can like spend some time with her husband as he's recovering, and mm-hmm. they can have some meaningful times now that she's stepping down. In other news, Brian, uh, former Wheaton grad, this is why the story was close to home, Uh, Michael Gerson, Mm -hmm. who uh, was a theology student and uh, really a name touted quite a bit when you and I were at Wheaton College. He was a former speechwriter for President George W. Bush. He died of kidney cancer at the age of 58. He had it since 2013. I think it was last Thursday, so almost a week ago now. I didn't realize he'd been battling since 2013. So you... Listeners probably know his words, even if you don't know his name. He constantly fused a theological vision of moral purpose with a practical policy agenda. These are some words about him from Christianity Today. And in the process, he produced some of the era's most memorable phrases. You'll remember these. Mm -hmm. This is Michael Gerson. Armies of compassion and axis of evil. Axis Mm -hmm. of evil stands out to me as one of George W. Bush's like key phrases, don't you think? Yeah, and it says after 9-11... Uh, Gerson was described as, quote, the man whose words helped steady the nation. Mm. A few years later, Time magazine named him one of the country's most influential evangelicals. Wow. Uh, he once said, on most days, you're writing for the next day's headlines. In a few moments, you're writing for American history. And then there may come a time once or twice when you're writing for the angels. Wow. So, uh, you know, he was born into an evangelical family. Like you said, he went to our, our alma mater, Wheaton College. 
Earned a BA in Bible theology. Oh, See, that's your degree, line. right? That's one of my degrees. Nice. <laughs> that's one of my majors. Nice. Uh, but then he was going to go to seminary and decided instead he got into politics and speech writing uh, and went to work in politics. And so, you know, it is you don't remember these people who are behind the scenes. Yeah. You don't remember these people who are crafting the words of the president. Mm. But he said... And this is probably worth talking about. He believed politics should have, quote, a heroic ambition, that there should be a greater good to our politics mm. uh, rather than what we're, quite frankly, seeing today. And now wow. a lot of people are going to point out things about weapons of mass destruction yeah, of and course, all of this other of stuff course. from the Bush administration. But I do want to highlight, you know, an evangelical who was writing the speeches, who said, I want I want there to be a greater purpose yeah. than just winning politics or doing this. That. I, th- I think I think that's something we all kind of long for right now. Yeah. And he actually I mean, I didn't realize about this. Then, but he continued to write for The Washington Post even just before he died. And mm. he wrote about racism within the Republican Party. He criticized evangelicals and conservatives who supported uh, Donald Trump. Um, but still a faithful Christian guy, very active in his political party as well. So it it is interesting, Brian, to think about the power of words and the power of um, mixing theology and politics in a way that felt right to him and mm-hmm. wasn't divisive to him and actually uh, brought a lot of people together. Continued, He continued to write about faith most of his life. This is interesting because a lot of times you and I talk about how we don't want to see the church uh, like platform political candidates, but we do want to see Christians in politics. Mm -hmm. And this is sort of a way where that world is collided. A theology guy writing speeches for a conservative Christian president of the United States of America and doing it with a conviction. Interesting. You yeah. don't see a lot of guys like this. these Fascinating. Days. It says here in the story we're reading from Christianity today that on 9-11, uh, he was at home writing a speech about how the government could encourage, quote, communities of character. When he heard the first reports of the attack on his way then into the White House, he saw a plane crash into the Pentagon, mm. which was obviously all... Um, all part of 9-11. Wow. Uh, I, I do. I, I want to hearken on his. I want to go in back into his ideal that politics can serve a noble purpose. That's good. Like, doesn't it feel like we're so far away from that? It feels but, like we are so far away from that. You know, we as Christians need to say, yeah, no, maybe there is a way that we can be involved in politics that raise it into a noble cause, that mm. raise it into a unifying factor, not a divider. Yeah. That, um, that does good in the world and in our country it just doesn't feel like that anymore. And, you know, uh, the people who didn't like Michael Gerson are many of the reasons on both sides of the aisle for why that's happening. Sure. But I do. I, 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 I could be, you know, Pollyanna about these things, but I do resonate with the things he said. Politics and, can be the realm of nobility. That's yeah, his quote. I, I do long for that. I don't believe that it can happen anymore. I know. But I do long for that. And I think as we as individuals and as churches are going, you know, we're going to live this out. 
we're not going to get into the muck and the mud and all of this stuff. Yeah. We're going to try to raise the discourse. We're going to try to raise what we do. Mm. Maybe there's some hope. I just don't see that happening right now at all. It is quite discouraging, Brian. And this is where I've said so many times on the show. I feel like a political orphan because I mm. don't find a place where this nobility exists. And I think you're right that I think so many of us are longing for this kind of thing. But I do wonder if it's just those days are gone and and I maybe there's a better day coming. But it feels like to me, we got to wade through a whole Mm. lot of this just extreme, violent, petty political games before we can get there again. And maybe it's the next generation. I I don't exactly know what it's going to take, but it is kind of discouraging even for you to say you long for it, but you don't believe you're ever going to see it. It feels like this is the exact type of politician um, who can't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, and can't win. Now, I know he wasn't a politician. He worked for he a worked politician. For, but like they can't win because this doesn't yeah. get rewarded. Like maybe we're wrong. Maybe, maybe we're wrong. Maybe people like this who are more moderate, who speak more of unifying uh, who are actually trying to do that, maybe they can still... It just doesn't feel like that yeah. anymore. And that's that's the huge discouragement. But I think as we reflect on his life and other things, I think we as Christians need to go, okay, but we're going to try. Yeah. Like we're going to, in our little sectors of the world, we're going to try. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, try to be the change that we want to see happen. Yeah, that's so good. Here's another quote from the Christianity Today article from Gerson. He was writing a few days before Christmas 2021, about the problem of resentment in contemporary politics. He talked about the need for faith, hope, and love in the public square. And he argued that if the Christmas story is true, it is a story that can reorient every human story. And for those who couldn't quite believe it, he urged them to look around. There is an almost infinite number of ways other angelic choirs that God, other than angelic choirs, that God announces his arrival Beautiful words remembering the life of Michael Gerson, George W. Bush's former speechwriter. Coming up next, Brian, kind of a wild story. I don't know if this blew up on your social media feed as much as it did mine because of the people that I follow and the things that I'm interested in. Candace, Candace Cameron Bure got into a little bit of a kerfuffle. a kerfuffle about some of the things she said about her new channel and traditional marriage. We will talk about that when we return. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Brian, are you a fan of Candace Cameron? Candace Cameron Bure, if she's not known. I don't know of any of her, I know of her, obviously. But, yeah. I, you know, once she was no longer, oh, wait, I almost said... On the growing pains, but no, that was no, not no, her. that's that her was, bro. I know, but I thought, though, yeah, she was on it too. But no, yeah. that's her brother. Yeah, what was she on? Uh, Full House. Yes. What am I doing? Hello? I'm a child of the '80s. Seriously. How did that just happen? Seriously, Boo and Fuller me. House, the the reboot on Netflix. Well, okay, Candace- married a great hockey player. Yes. Who, me and my my best friend growing up, we would play Nintendo hockey. At that moment, her husband was like the best player. Yeah, <gasps> Pavel no Murray. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. Yep. They have like a beautiful family together. And I follow her on social media. She's obviously known for being an outspoken evangelical that's Christian. Right. She's that's been right. on The View. She's been, she's part of Hallmark Channel. That's how I mostly know her because I love the Hallmark Channel Christmas movies. Well, she made the move to move from Hallmark to a new Christian movie network. I think it's called the Great American Channel, GAC, something like that. And is starting to I'm I'm about to subscribe because I'm ready to watch all the Christmas movies. I can't wait. Great American Family Network. That's what it's called. Great G G A F. Great American Family Network. Um, 
So she was recently uh, interviewed by People magazine, and she talked about how excited she was to have a channel that showed movies that focused on traditional marriage, celebrated traditional marriage. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, there was some mighty strong backlash <laughs> against that. She left the Hallmark Channel to make more religious based content. She talked a lot about um, uh, making movie that her family, making movies that her family could watch together. And the main thing that people are reading into this, and I think there's probably some truth to this, is Hallmark Channel began to make. Uh, more movies that featured homosexual couples Mm -hmm. and she wanted to be in a situation where they were producing movies with traditional family values. So anyway, people lost their minds, but here's what's interesting. She commented, I actually read this whole thing on Instagram that it was the media's fault that she felt like the media portrayed her in such a way that it caused outrage. And so she basically called out the media. How dare you do this? Mm-hmm. Here's a quote. This is from Candace Cameron Bray. It absolutely breaks my heart that anyone would ever think I intentionally would want to offend and hurt anyone. She said in the statement, this was to people magazine. She said some of this on Instagram as well. It saddens me. That the media is often seeking to divide us even around a subject as comforting and merry as Christmas movies. But given the toxic climate in our culture right now, I shouldn't be surprised. We need Christmas more than ever. She went on to talk about how she loves all people. And that means any race, creed, sexuality, political party, including those who've tried to bully her with name calling. Mm. So she basically... In getting the criticism, lashed out at the media for mm-hmm. causing this to happen. Um, people are angry. What do you think? Uh, completely not surprising. That like, people are mad. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. there are certain things. Um, there were certain things that you can't say anymore I in know, our culture. Right? Right? Uh, she didn't ask for this. She she can say, you know what? Uh I want to move to um, a new. She didn't come out and be like, only, you know, she wasn't preaching. She was asked, why are you moving? Mm -hmm. She said, I want to be, you know what? Everybody has the opportunity to then do. I'm not going to watch it. I am going to watch it. Yeah. But everybody needs to get in the soapbox about everything. I, I guess I'm, as I get older, I'm just like, okay. Then don't watch it. Then don't watch it. Why are we, if you're so against what she says, why give oxygen to it? If you're for what she says, go watch her movies. I think that was her point. She wasn't, she didn't do this to make a statement. She did this for her own conscience and said, this is what I want to do. But because people know who she is, that it turned, and because this is what happens, people then glob onto these things, they get on social media, they get outraged, they go crazy. Uh, But I would suggest to people out there that this is just one of those bellwether issues that if you want to be accepted in culture, you probably shouldn't speak on. You probably can't say it. I I think that's ultimately it. I do appreciate that she said, look, uh, I have a simple message. I love you anyway. But I also think there is some... Right or wrong, the reality is you can't speak up about this. You know, you know what I mean? Unless you're okay with Unless this. you're okay with yes. the backlash. And it seems like she definitely wasn't. Do you, Here's my question. Do you think she's right that the media did this, caused the division? No, I think 
how would I put this? I think the media, quote unquote, and that's where that's a really big umbrella. It is a big umbrella. Social media, the traditional media. I think the media is an accelerant to these things. I think what often what happens here is we live in a culture where you can't say certain things. And she said it. And uh, and that's okay. Like, we're not suggesting you shouldn't say these things. All we're suggesting is be ready for the backlash. Like, this is the way our culture is. Mm -hmm. She got the backlash, and then the media just pours the gasoline on on that. Interesting. More people see it, more people are outraged, bigger accounts are outraged. And all of a sudden, what was a tiny snowball is now just an avalanche going down the hill. So, I don't know that it's a media creation. As much as it is uh, accelerated the by media the media. media kind of jumped yeah, on it and accelerated I think so. it. I, Brian, I think you will be happy to know that Wonder Year star Danica McKellar, your girl Winnie, Winnie. is going to be in many of these Christmas movies on GAF as well. Uh, so maybe you'll maybe you'll start watching Christmas movies. I don't know. I mean, if it's if it is Wonder Years based, then uh, then you're in. Then I'm in. You know, I'm thinking about this Candace Bure thing. What I would say to people out there who are Christ followers mm. is this, especially about culture issues. Like we can't. We just have to understand culture is moving away from us. That's it. Yeah. And that's not persecution. Yeah. That's not religious freedom issues. It right. is what it is. Yeah. And so. uh when you speak up or when you say things, just know that this is going to be the reaction. Like in some ways, I just want to be like, we just have to get used to this. I think there's some truth to that, like almost like develop a thick skin if you're going to say these things. Yeah. And where it becomes hard is if you're an actress, you want as many people watching your movies of as course. possible. If you want. And so you feel this need to have to now go back and be like, let me let me uh, soften what I said. Right. If you believe in what you said, uh you know, okay, like just, but just know that's where this is going. Like, I don't think all of a sudden our nation is going to become our culture around culture wars is going to be more traditional. No, there's no way that doesn't yeah, feel no what's happening. Yeah. On Instagram, Candace Cameron expressed her desire for inclusion. She said, I've never been interested in proselytizing through my story telling, but in celebrating God's greatness in our lives through the stories I tell. God's love and God's compassion is front and center. All that comes from the love that God himself showered upon humanity when he gave the gift of joy and forgiveness on the first Christmas morning, 2000 years ago, she told her followers. It is why I love Christmas stories, sharing true joy and true pace with millions of people around the world. Anyway, very, very interesting to kind of see her, I think, as a microcosm of what culture looks like and what we can expect i think if we feel the need to stand up for traditional marriage Mm -hmm. values especially at her level right like especially the level she's at well brian coming up next and there was some really sad news at my middle school's um school the loss of a teacher i want to talk about that and how we can talk to our students our kids our grandkids about death Hard news at my son's school. His orchestra teacher has been battling cancer for Mm. not that long, like maybe a little over a year. And they sent us an email last night. She passed away. She's been on hospice for about a week. Mm. In fact, the middle school students and some of the high school students gathered together and played an orchestra concert for her that they live streamed into the hospital. Yes. Oh, it makes me want to cry just thinking about it. She passed away. So we had to have kind of a hard conversation with my son. Hey, buddy, just so you know, Miss Sigma passed. And, you know, my son is a 13 year old boy. And so Mm -hmm. he was kind of like, okay. Mm -hmm. And then went on and we were like, do you have any questions? Nope. 
His his eyes kind of filled with tears, but then he moved on pretty quickly. Right. And and, yep. and that was interesting because I think when we do talk with our kids about really hard things like that, one of the tips that I feel like is so important for us to know as parents, as grandparents, as caregivers, is you can't expect kids to process it in the same way you do. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think my 13-year-old son understands... Or needs to understand the weight of it the way as adults Kevin and I do. The fact that, you know, there's a family she left behind and that kind of thing. All of that stuff I think you understand as you grow in maturity. But it did get me thinking about the way that we talk to our kids about really hard things, especially the loss of a loved one. I've got a friend who's very, very sick with cancer. And my, my oldest son will often ask me, like, mom, is this person going to die? And to have those conversations even with a 16-year-old is different than the way we would have it with our 11-year-old son. Mm. The school actually sent us some tips. I'd love to know your thoughts on these, Brian. Uh, One of the things they said was be honest and straightforward. Don't use metaphors or euphemisms. Be ready for questions. I think some of those metaphors might be things like she passed on Mm. or she went into the... I I don't know. Like we sometimes we are afraid to just say like the person died. Yeah. Um, They say validate emotions and don't judge. Communicate and connect by sharing your feelings. Use stories or drawings for kids to express themselves and know they're not alone. And then it's okay to share your emotions, but try to stay calm and controlled. They Mm. said, Um, I didn't know this teacher particularly. So I didn't feel like there was a lot of emotion for me sharing it with him, but I hated to have to share with my son, babe, this really sad thing happened. How old was she? Um, young Brian, probably around our age, like in her, in her forties is my guess. Yeah. Maybe even younger. So, um, do you have any thoughts on this? Like how do we talk to our kids about these really hard things like Mm. death, a friend dying, a teacher dying, a grandparent dying? Yeah. Yeah. I I think you and Kevin did the right thing in like giving your son some space. Like if we're like, no, talk about it. We need to talk about this right, <laughs> right now. They, right. Kids need space. They need to be able to sit in it yes. and just process it themselves. And they'll come. You'll you'll get the open door at some point, mm-hmm. right? You can circle back in another day or two and be like, hey, bud, I wanted to talk to you. Like, how are you feeling? Yeah. Do you, you want to go to the funeral or do you want to whatever else it might be? I think letting them dictate the terms, because sometimes we're like, I'm going to, you know, here's what else I wouldn't do. Don't don't project your own feelings onto them. Like, mm. you know, what I mean, like this happens as adults, right? Like if if I wanted to see if you had a loss in your family and I wanted to see how you're doing and I start crying to you and, and all of a sudden make you like the caregiver. Right. That's, that's unfair. So true. That that's, is so true. But it's completely unfair. Uh-huh. So if you did that to your kid inadvertently, mm-hmm. like you start, I can't believe she passed away and this and he's having to listen to this. That's probably really complicated yeah, for is. him. And so I think, like you said, validating the emotions, mm-hmm. just being like, hey, why don't we talk about this later mm-hmm. or coming back to it? Uh, boys, especially, do much better. This is probably true for men as well, but yeah. especially boys. What's the old saying? They do better shoulder to shoulder than right. eye to eye. Right. Kind of doing something. Like, We're let's in the go car. on a walk. We're or let's, walking. Yeah, yeah. totally. Uh, let's talk. So I I would think needing to circle back, not expecting that they're going to know how they're feeling in that moment Mm -hmm. is really important. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a kid's book coming out on Limit last year or last year, next year. And I've been thinking about how, oh, I wish I could like pass this book out to all of these kids. Although my book is for younger kids than junior hires. But I do think it's so important for kids to know 
no one that it's okay to feel whatever they feel mm-hmm. like they might feel angry they might get a headache they might feel sleepy they might you know there's different ways grief presents in the body and then there are different things you can do in your grief you can talk to god about it or you can be quiet or you can and i think all of those things are valid is the point you're saying like you don't have to expect your child to grieve the same way that you grieve as an adult. Yeah. I do want to switch this to adults a little bit because it is interesting when um, someone's lost someone. I think our tendency is to like um, want to enter into their grief by saying, Oh, I lost so-and-so too. Mm. I know how you feel. But I think sometimes that can almost do what you were talking about before. Like it's a little unfair to take their grief and, make it about your grief. Like somehow there has to be a way to just sit with their grief, their grief, their grief. And one day the tide turns and you share yours. I told you this one time I was with a buddy of mine who had lost a very close family member and we had gone as years ago and we had gone uh, to his hometown for the funeral. And he said, Hey, I was like, Hey, how's it been? He's like, watch this. And so we went into a place and uh, you know, his his loved one had died very tragically. Yeah. And we went into the place and the most well-meaning person came up to give him a hug, but just started crying and was kind of broken. And my buddy was like, this is just how it's been. And it's really hard. Like uh, I'm nobody does that intentionally. No one does that intentionally. But we think that like, hey, that's what I meant earlier when it's like, mm. hey, I'm here to I'm here for you, but I'm actually going to dump my, how I'm feeling on you. Yeah, It's just not helpful. Like, I think, you know, when we look into the Bible, when we look at Job's friends, the, the best of Job's friends was the one who just sat there right, and right. just said, I don't know what to say to you. And so I think that's helpful. But, you know, what makes it hard, do you think, to like be around other people in their grief? Like we I feel like we get awkward. You just don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And then you are feeling the same, like not to the same level, but you're probably feeling emotion. If that person's close enough to you and they've lost something, you're going to feel emotion over it. You're hurting over it. And you're hurting for them, mm-hmm. but it's just, I think it's just the fact that we don't know what to say. Yeah. Like, what? Okay. You know, if something happens to you, I'm your friend, I'm here. And I'm like, I don't know how to make it again. Here's the wrong question, but it's one that we ask. I don't know how to make this better. Mm. Well, you don't have to make you it don't better, have but to make we it want better. to make it better. Yeah. So if I'm not making it better, what role am I, sir? Right. Maybe I'll just avoid you for a week or two. And then uh, that just gets worse. So but I, true. it's totally understandable. Yeah, so somehow just to be able to enter in and not try to, like, solve it, I think is really, really crucial. I also think there's a key to grief, like, if you think about grieving in concentric circles, so the person at the center of the grief who's really lost someone really hurting, if you think about, okay, outside of that person is probably their siblings or their spouses, outside of that circle is Mm -hmm. probably their extended family, outside of that is friends or whatever, think about it in concentric circles, Wherever you are in the concentric circles, it's important not to grieve inward. Like you don't place your grief Uh on that. You go the other way. Like you go outside. Does that make sense? I think that's a very helpful visual when we think about people and their grief and a way to not dump your grief on the one hurting, but go outside to the other circles. I think that's a healthy way to think about it as well. I like that. All right. Coming up next, Brian, we're going to share some good news stories. We just talked about some heavy stuff, but we want to send you into Thanksgiving with a smile on your face face day before thanksgiving just a few hours away we are so glad that you're with us and we want to because it's the end of the show and because it's thanksgiving eve we want to put a big smile on your face and share with you some good news stories from one of our favorite places to go for them that is the week 
The first one, Brian, is very Thanksgiving appropriate, so I am going to share it with you. I'm ready. A baker turns her candlestick great... maker. <laughs> <laughs> oh Sorry, man! No, let's way. start that over. A baker turns her great 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 grandmother's pie recipe into a business venture. Joy B. Moore's family recipe for sweet potato pie has been delighting friends, relatives, and anyone else lucky enough to try it for decades. It tastes like home and it evokes memories of home, Moore told The Week. The recipe was created by her great-great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother, pardon me. It's a lot of greats. But it was never written down. The ingredients, measurements, and instructions were repeated orally, memorized in the kitchen. Friends had been telling Moore for years that she should start selling her pies. And after she lost her job in 2019, that's exactly what she decided to do. Moore launched Joy Bell Sweet Potato Pies in her hometown of Richmond, Virginia. During the pandemic, Joy Bell's partner with the grocery store food chain Food Lion through its supplier diversity initiative. Today, her pies can be found on the shelves of Food Lions, over a thousand stores, as well as Sam's Club and QVC. That's cool. That's, That's a great awesome. uh, thing great, to get for great, Thanksgiving. Great, great story. <laughs> Minnesota <laughs> fitness instructor inspires older students to go, go, go. Ann Tudor is motivating older adults to move and groove through her Forever Well fitness class. Tudor is age 75. She's an instructor at the YMCA in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Her class is specifically designed for older adults, and her students range in age from 60s, late 60s to mid-80s. They say Tudor has helped them improve their balance, avoid knee surgery, and strengthen their backs. People are getting stronger. People are getting better posture. Her devotees say Tudor's sense of humor and positive attitude are why they show up for the class. And is my inspiration. You want to go, go, go when she's doing it, student Don Benson said. If I hadn't been doing this class, I wouldn't be able to do half of what I do at 80. That's awesome. I, I, I need to take that. her class. You might need to join her class. That's true for your back problems. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three, designer makes one-of-a-kind wigs for girls with hair loss conditions. Every wig that Brianna Davison makes is not only stylish, but also delivers an extra boost of confidence. The Memphis, Tennessee designer is the founder of Kids Wigs and Kids Explosion Tour, which gives custom wigs to girls across the United States who have hair loss conditions. In 2018, Davison created a wig for a girl with alopecia and told Good Morning America that this made her fall in love with hair all over again. Davison recently made a wig for Bailey Strange, who shared with GMA that she felt insecure about being the only person at her school with alopecia. When she was surprised with one of Davis's braided wigs, I felt so amazing, she said. Davison, she added, provides more than a wig. She provides a friend. She provides a safe haven. It just felt so right sitting in that chair talking to her when she was doing my wig. That's cool. Man, that's nice. Uh, fourth grader uses Heimlich maneuver to save choking classmate. Come on. Essie Collier's quick thinking likely saved her classmate's life. On November the 8th, the fourth grader from Racine, Wisconsin, noticed during lunch that her classmate appeared to be choking. I just saw that she was holding her neck and I rushed up there as fast as I could. She told the Associated Press she started performing the Heimlich maneuver, which she learned two years ago from a YouTube video. Uh, Collier's teacher, Samantha Bradshaw, said within just a few seconds, 
the classmate's airway was cleared and she was once again breathing normally. I've never seen a student react in that way before, Bradshaw told the AP. For her heroism, the Racine Unified School District Board of Education plans to honor honor Collier during its meeting in late November. Awesome. Unbelievable. Fourth grader learned it from YouTube. See, there are good things on YouTube. There are good things on YouTube. All right, here's the last story. You ready for this one, Brian? Last one. This is right up your alley. Researcher finds that dung beetles protect offspring amid temperature changes. Researcher Kimberly S. Sheldon made a promising discovery about dung beetles and how they are adapting to changing temperatures. Dung beetles are among the insect world's most important recyclers. Sheldon, an associate professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at the University of Tennessee, writes in the conversation... They eat and bury manure from other species, recycling mm. nutrients and improving soil as they go. They also lessen greenhouse gas emissions from cattle farming and are secondary seed dispersers. <laughs> Sheldon wanted to know how they are responding to temperature changes and found that adult dung beetles are burying their brood balls deeper to protect their developing offspring from changing temperatures. My colleagues and I are encouraged to find that these industrious beetles can alter their behaviors in ways that may help them survive in a changing world. Who knew, Brian, that dung beetles were so helpful for the world today? Uh, Nobody knew that dung beetles (laughs) were. Nobody knew that. Is that information you're glad you know or do you care? I don't. Oh, I'm glad I know. Come yeah, on. It's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Isn't. All of those stories are good ones to share at the Thanksgiving table tomorrow. All, All right. right, Brian. Thanksgiving. Yes. What time is everything happening? I don't even know. I think whenever my wife tells me to get in the car, yeah, I think it's at it. like noon or one. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Let's end. Let's end uh, deeply. One thing you're thankful for. You go around the table. Mm. One thing you are thankful for that you will share at your table. I I know I complain about my husband aggressively setting his alarm and eating cereal at me, but I am very thankful for him this Thanksgiving. I love my husband. I love doing life with him and I love our kiddos. I'm very thankful for our family this Thanksgiving. Our family is a safe space and I love that. I'm thankful that your husband aggressively eats eats, uh, cereal at you. I do enjoy that picture. Just, yeah, just, yeah, it was aggressive. It happened again this morning. <laughs> Every day of your husband. Every I'm day. What husband. about you? What do you think? I, I would go the same route you did. I am so thankful for my family. I love my family. I love being around my family. Like, I'm excited for this weekend when we're all in the same house and yeah. we don't have things pulling at us. Oh, it's going to be so nice. Like I'm just excited to be with my wife and my three kids yeah. and we laugh a lot and they are certainly God's blessing. So yeah, that's so love good. my family and I love stuffing that I will be and chips away yep. cookies, both of which. <laughs> I will hopefully be having a lot of this weekend. Well, Brian and I are both very thankful for you as well, listeners. We hope you have a wonderful day tomorrow. Fill up your bellies with good, good food. Enjoy your family time. Count your blessings. And we will see you on the other side of Thanksgiving. We'll have best of shows for the next few days, and they will be wonderful and ready just for you. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.